If you like small town mystery, crazy news, and wild history, then the Florida Men on Florida Man podcast is for you. Each week, Josh Mills and Wayne McCarty bring you the absolute best Florida has to offer. So if you're looking for a show that's safe for the family, but funny enough to help you escape everyday life, then listen to the Florida Men on Florida Man podcast. That's Florida Men, plural, on Florida Man podcast. If you are tuning into this podcast, number one, I want to thank you for joining me here. Number two, this is so much more than a podcast. This is somebody I spent my life with. This person protected me when I was being picked on and bullied as a child into my teenage years. This person was always there for me. Then this person lost her life. This is more than just a true crime podcast. This has been a project of love for 34 years. I received a diagnosis and was told that my life expectancy was going to be very short. And I began to work damn hard on Krista Martin's case. I never thought we would receive an answer before I left this earth. But then we did. And I've struggled so hard on how to put the words into something for the listeners because some of you listeners have come to me with ideas and theories. You've sent me messages. You put posts out there. You have encouraged me. You have been there for me and you are so much more than listeners. So this is just my love note to all of you. I don't know how this day could have come without all of you sharing Krista's case and her face. Because I don't care what everyone else says. Yes, I believe Othram is amazing. And I know Hannah King with Cake News is amazing. But I believe it is the continued pressure that is put on by police departments on families who don't speak out. And it's by you guys sharing these faces and saying, we will not be silent on these cases. And I believe that makes a difference. And you guys, if the Wichita Police Department is listening, you can say I'm wrong. But I believe it's all of you who say, we will not be silent for these victims. So thank you to all of you. Yes, the investigators and all of the hard work that was done is amazing and incredible. But all of you who were there for that little girl that Krista took care of in a very abusive household. When I lost Krista, I was alone. But when I started speaking for Krista, you guys made sure I was alone no more. And I want to thank all of you for being there with me. And I hope we can take all of that and go forward 
And let's put a few more cases in the solve column. The Social Detective is an independent podcast. It is for educational and awareness only. Some of the information is based on our opinion, as we will state in the podcast. Information can be triggering to some individuals, so please listen wisely. Hey guys, it's Marianne, dog mom, baker, true crime podcast maker. Today, we're going to discuss a journey. A journey news articles have described as a 34-year search for justice. However, this story encompasses so much more than 34 years. Krista Martin was a childhood friend, a teenage protector, a kind heart, and an open soul. I don't want Krista to be remembered for what happened to her. I want her to be remembered for the many kindnesses she had done over the years. I want her memory to make a difference, a difference to those who might be struggling in abusive relationships, a difference to those who might be struggling with addictions, a difference to those who might be struggling to just belong. I want them to know you are not alone, that there might be someone in your past that is just a phone call away, a text, a letter. I want her memory to be a legacy that everyone has a right to fight for justice in a loved one's case. Everyone has the right to look for answers. When the media and law enforcement refuses to do so. I want to thank you, the listeners and other podcasters who for the last two years joined me on this journey. For those who sent me theories, ideas, everything they had to expand awareness on her case. I want to thank Uncovered.com for being the first database to truly provide a media-friendly timeline on the Krista Martin case. I want to thank Patrick Hassan from Not Adding Up and Sipping True Crime for doing TikToks on her case. I want to thank Heather Ashley from Big Mad True Crime to being my sounding board as I dealt with frustrations on the system in trying to get answers. I want to thank Beth at True Crime BNB, who supported my podcast and helped me learn to navigate social media in expanding my podcast. However, my biggest thank you goes out to Katrina Marshall. Katrina Marshall, who has been trying to find answers on her own family's case, the case of her aunt, Katrina Mowry. Katrina Marshall sent out FOIAs in trying to find answers on Krista's case. Katrina became a partner and an advocate in trying to find answers on Krista's case. 
She truly understood what I was going through, my frustrations, my pain, and my loneliness. Katrina, you are my rock, my crime-solving partner. I look forward to the day we are able to put your aunt's case in the win column along with Krista's. I also want to thank Hannah King. It was due to the work that Hannah King did that I will always believe in my heart and my soul that brought us to where we are today in Krista Martin's case. In the media, it stated a 20-year-old woman was found bludgeoned to death in her southwest Wichita apartment Monday morning on October 2nd, 1989. The Wichita Eagle also stated she had been beaten a week before she was slain. They stated in that article, this was stated to them by the Wichita Police Department. They were speaking about the 1987 campus high school graduate, Krista Martin. Her body had been discovered by a friend, the article stated. The article also stated she had been fully clothed, laying face down on her couch. An autopsy revealed she had been clubbed with an object to the back of the left side of her head. The weekend prior to her death, Dave Hendricks of the Wichita Eagle reported police were called after neighbors heard a fight. One neighbor, Beverly Orth, who lived across the street from Krista, looked out her open window around 3 or 4 a.m. and saw two men outside of Krista's apartment. The words I will never forget, no matter the status of her case. One guy asked the taller guy, why did you have to hit her? The other man answered, because she's a woman and she deserved it. Police officers may have closed this case. Everyone may have moved on. However, domestic violence is something we should never forget. Someone out there thinks women deserve to be hit. There are probably many people out there who think violence is an acceptable answer to the question, why did you do something? I'm here to say it's not. In all the recent articles about Krista, this piece is never addressed. Please say it has nothing to do with the case, but it does. Krista stood up for others. She may not have always stood up for herself, but she would always protect those she loved. If you take anything away from Krista's case, please take this. For all the love you give away to others, and everything you do to protect those you love. What will happen if you are no longer here to protect them? 
Your loved ones need you here, and you never deserve to be hit. You do not deserve to be emotionally, physically, or verbally abused. Not a hundred times, not one time. Get help. Call authorities. You can contact. One eight hundred seven nine nine seven two three three. Please, I want listeners to take this away from Krista's story. When you hear someone beating on your neighbor, call the police. Beverly Orth was a hero. She called the police. She described these two men to the newspaper and to police. She outlined what she heard happening to Krista Martin. She stood up to what she saw, to what these two men did. She stood up for Krista. We need. More Beverly Ors in the world. We've tried scrubbing the audio of the clip from 1989 from the police department on that 911 call, but this is the best quality we can get. So please, listeners, you'll want to turn up your phones in order to hear this. Last week,、uh, neighbors reported that they heard、uh, yelling and fighting going on、uh, at the residence and.、Uh, 911 was called, and, and officers were asked to come out to the house. We are here to discuss what happened to Krista, and this was a part of the news in 1989. Police spoke out on it. Domestic violence is too often swept under the rug, which is why it continues to occur. These two men may not have been the ones who killed her. But they did hurt her. They don't get a pass just because they did take her life. They hurt her. Krista was struggling with self-esteem and other issues. These men very well could have put her on the path in front of someone even more dangerous. These men. Also, very possibly, could still be out there. They could still have the philosophy that women deserve to be hit. So, no, we aren't going to forget about these men just because they weren't the ones to kill Krista Martin. And I hope, if any of you out there know who these men were. I hope you don't forget what they said that night either. During that last fall in 1989, Krista had recently been laid off from her job at City Blueprint. She had recently moved into the home at 506 South Osage. In 1989, Lieutenant Mike McKenna. He was the one that spoke out to the Wichita Eagle. For the Wichita Police Department, 
he was the one quoted saying, this was going to be a difficult case to solve. I'm still wondering why the detective, who I've now found out was actually on the case, never provided a statement. I'm still wondering why the Wichita Eagle first put out in 1989 that Krista Martin had not been molested. There had been no signs of burglary or signs of a struggle. Maybe if the correct information had been put out by the detective in those early days, possibly it could have changed the course of that investigation, even though the man who committed the crime left town shortly after. For those who loved and cared about Krista, we respected the pain her parents were suffering, so we just relied on the news that the Wichita Eagle gave us. We clung to that trying to find answers. As you guys know from earlier podcasts, I had met Krista Martin because she lived right next door. She was always just right there. Her sister was my age. Krista was a year older, but Krista and I had more in common. We were the outsiders in our own world, the ones that were never 100% accepted. We would often talk about our feelings of never truly belonging anywhere. We didn't really belong in any certain groups. We weren't jocks. We weren't really, we were more, we enjoyed art. We enjoyed our animals. Cats for her, dogs for me. But I was more of the nerd. I embraced the fact that I was a nerd. Stephen King books, comic books, all of the typical nerd pleasures. I even got a book on the anatomy of animals just so I could read and make notes in my pastime. Krista really didn't get that. But she didn't feel like she belonged in the nerd group either. She again preferred art, sketching, and made the most beautiful pictures. But she masked the fact that she didn't belong in other ways. When she felt uncomfortable, she would want to wrestle or run. She loved to run. She felt like those bursts of energy would just help her find her identity. She just wanted to be loved for who she was. People would really accept that. In today's world, I think they would have. She didn't have a chance to exist in today's world because a vile person took her away from us. As teenagers, Krista and I would spend time together I would sit on the bleachers outside while she ran around the track practicing because, again, she enjoyed being a part of the track team. And after she was done expending all of her energy, we would sit on the bleachers and discuss horror movies, art, her cats. And believe it or not, we would discuss fitting in. I wanted desperately to fit in. She wanted people to just accept her 
for being her. Not as someone else, just accept her. One night, we went to a high school party, and it was before prom. I went with a boy who promised to take me to prom and had a no idea that he was just setting me up, and I should have because I did not look like the type of girl anyone would take to prom. The boy ended up leaving the party with another girl, and being upset, I decided it was time to fit in. Time to enjoy the party like everyone else. I wanted to light up my first joint and kick back, but I had no idea what I was doing. So, of course, I asked Krista. Krista would understand how to fit in, right? We talked all the time about fitting in, and hell, she gets high. She would know what to do, and she'd be okay with me doing it, right? Hell no. She exploded. She exploded into a fit, saying that she would tell on me if I tried it, if I ever tried it. And then she told my brother, my brother who was at this party for high schoolers, my brother who was at a party for high schoolers even though he was five years older than all of us, over five years older than all of us. That should have raised red flags, but he was always hanging out with my high school friends. I never thought this was wrong. Then she said something that I carried with me for the rest of my life. She said the words, you are too smart to do something so stupid. And that was Krista in a nutshell. When I left home at 18, I never knew that was the last time I would ever see Krista again. And as a kid, you just, you cut your ties and you move on. I wanted to cut ties with my family. Then October of 1989, my brother comes to my boyfriend's home, my high school boyfriend. I come back to the house with my boyfriend and I find my brother sitting in the kitchen with my boyfriend's mom. My boyfriend's mom, Susie, who, by the way, was one of the most amazing, kindest people in the world. I really wish she had been my mom. Now, I did later marry that boyfriend, and that marriage didn't work out, but that mom, she taught me how to cook, and she taught me so much in my life. But my brother was there that night to tell me Krista had been murdered, and that moment changed everything. Even though I had been raised around doom, gloom, I mean, hell, the serial killer, BTK, he was cutting a rampage through Wichita, Kansas. This was completely unexpected. Throughout the years, I never once stopped looking for answers and checking on Krista's case. The brother who was with me when I received the news, 
He always checked in with information on Krista's case because my life was all over the place. I was going on to college and I had a very rocky relationship with my family as well as Krista's family. But no matter what, I took Krista with me everywhere, always. As you guys know, I started this podcast because of my quest for answers. Because once Google became a thing, once you were able to actually research these cases outside of going to a library, I would look up Krista's name and besides finding things and where they tried to put Krista in this box with BTK, there were only those articles about Krista from the Wichita Eagle. And so I wanted there to be more out there on Krista. She deserved more. So I started this podcast because of my quest for answers when nothing else seemed to be working. Now we're going to get into the recent developments that have happened here these last few weeks, but I want to make one thing clear. I didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to start talking about Krista. Krista was always a part of my life. Since I was a little kid, Krista was always there. No matter where I lived, what the technology was, I was always checking on Krista's case. I was calling the police department. I was trying to contact family. Starting this podcast was a mission of last resort. What I want you guys to also understand is I had that sibling and he was going around saying that he was the only one who had answers on Krista's case. Yes, that same sibling who always seemed to be at my high school parties, who seemed to be chummy with all of my teenage friends. At the time, I didn't realize there was something seriously wrong with his behaviors. The animal abuse, wetting the bed into the teenage years. The time I got up smelling blood early in the mornings. I didn't realize this was something wrong because I lived with it. But his words were always in my head, in my ears, manipulating me. He would try to get my high school friends brought to him in prison like some sort of offering. He would ask for pictures. He even had asked one time for pictures of my children while serving a prison sentence for molestation, rape, and CSAM. He manipulated and victimized his own family. And even with all of my schooling, this played on my mind every day. Now, I'm not stupid. I would never give in to these demands. 
I would take all of this information and I would do the appropriate thing. But I still wanted answers. Did this have any bearing on Krista's case? So let me ask you, how would you go forward? What would you do with this information when no one is talking to you? When I felt like I had been drowning as a child and it was Krista who saved me, the nerdy, quiet girl who only wanted to be cool by doing drugs, who Krista stopped her and saved her and told her she was too smart to do something so stupid. No one was there to save Krista. I was so tired of calling, messaging, being ignored. It was time to take matters into my own hands. In 2013, when Dr. Backdash told me my life was never going to be the same, when I was diagnosed with non-compaction cardiomyopathy, my first thought wasn't, after I thought of my kids, the next thing I thought of was Krista Martin. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea. All I knew is I wasn't going to stop. I wasn't going to stop until I saw Krista's case everywhere. Her face in the media and there was an answer. Then in comes Hannah King from Cake News. Hannah King, who has the same passion about cold cases as I did, as I do. And we decided together to cover Krista's case in an in-depth special. I decided I wanted to be as loud as possible. I was tired of being that nerd who was quiet in the corner. It's been 34 years and two years of a podcast and everybody's ignoring me. Even on my own Facebook, campus alumni are ignoring my post about Krista Martin. I was sick of being ignored, of being treated like an outsider. I dyed my hair the brightest pink I could with the help of Alex from Bespoke, who was another wonderful sounding board. I bought the brightest pink suit I could find because pink is my power color, not Krista's, it's mine. And then we decided to film the interview in front of Krista's home, the home she was murdered in. And that seemed to be the first domino. You're gonna hear excerpts from Hannah King's different interviews that she had during all of her research and everything that she did for the special Solving Krista. She was so inspiring and Hannah King works on a lot of cold cases. We're going to attach where you can find and watch the rest of these videos and see me with my bright pink hair and my bright pink suit. And also you can see the interviews that they had with Krista's niece and the press conference. So I encourage all of you to go over and watch that and watch the rest of Hannah King's specials 
and I'm sure Hannah is going to have a lot more coming up and we will always provide links and share those as well. Hannah and Cake News does an amazing job of bringing awareness to the cold cases in Kansas. As so do we, and we want to continue to do that. Krista Martin lived next door to us. Krista and I were more like tomboys, and so we just, right from the moment we met, we just got along. We were both kind of goofy, kind of nerdy people. A year older than Marianne McCullough, Krista Martin is a friend she'd never forget. I mean, Krista has continued to affect my life since I was a child. In October of 1989, 20-year-old Krista Martin was found beaten to death in her apartment on South Osage in Wichita. It was a place she had recently moved into. Police say she was dealt a fatal blow after being struck in the back of the head with a blunt object. That murder weapon still hasn't been found. Many details remain unknown, but Marianne, a true crime podcast host, vowed to do anything to find out what she could. So right now you've started this podcast. Yes. In 2013, I had a stroke and I had to reassess everything in my life. And I sat there and I thought, what am I going to do? I thought, I cannot leave this world without knowing who killed Krista. I can't. Was I supposed to expect you guys to share her case when you know nothing about her? Who would think a woman with a lisp and the most annoying voice in the world could ever do a podcast? But I decided to do it. And I thought, I need to do this. I need to do this to get her voice out there because she can't speak for herself. And that's what I did. She spent years searching Krista Martin's name, but never found anything new. Marianne felt alone and isolated, pleading Krista deserves so much more. When it comes to Krista herself, I feel very alone. And I'm not upset for me about it. I'm upset for her because she deserves more than that. I see so many other stories where a murder happens and you see the vigils. You see the schools coming together on anniversaries. You see the families coming together. And I'm just standing there shouting her name to anyone who will listen. And it's heartbreaking, not for me, but for her. After we filmed that, the producer sent a picture of Hannah I in front of that home. And I posted it on social media. Shortly after that, I received a message from Krista's niece saying she wanted to meet. And shortly after that, Hannah receives a message from a detective saying he wants to meet. We, we won't give you all the details right now, obviously, because we will have to release it all at the same time. But he wants you to know that we have met with Mark Bennett and Mark Bennett has agreed that uh, we would charge a suspect on this case that we've identified. Unfortunately, the suspect is deceased. The FBI was involved. We were involved. The DA's office is involved. Well, I certainly appreciate you giving me this. I, I really do appreciate it. This is it's awesome that, you know, you all have someone someone named and you've been, you know, you didn't forget about it. It's been 30 years. Yeah. And that was a call from Detective Vandermolen. Who's the dominoes of information become a torrential onslaught. Meeting Krista's niece was 
so emotional to see Krista in person, to see Krista's features in Krista's knees, to finally see pictures of Krista, something I had been begging for in Facebook messages for 34 years, and there they all were spread on her cocktail table. Krista's beauty, her smiles frozen in time, frozen in 1989. To be able to see Krista again, I cannot describe that moment that she was able to share writings, last moments of Krista, things I will never forget. Krista, just wanting to be loved, just wanting to fit in. Her niece discussed how when she turned 21, she began working, trying to get Krista's case active again. How she started with the Hayesville Police Department. She talked about her struggles and all I kept thinking of is, I really wish you knew I existed because I would have been an ally. I would have helped you. We could have helped each other. What I felt like was the person, the individual who was my biggest bully next door and throughout high school, I felt like I had just discovered they were still bullying me for 34 years. They were gatekeeping and controlling all of the information and my ability to advocate on a case of someone I cared about. I felt like I was back in high school and still being bullied all of these years later. It felt like high school never ended. She talked about the podcast I did with Patrick from Not Adding Up. That podcast we did right after seeing the 2009 Crime Stoppers video that was done by the campus high school alumni, Jared Sorello. That Crime Stoppers video, if you guys remember from that podcast, that made me so angry. And she told me about how she was in it, cloaked in darkness. We wouldn't know because the entire family was cloaked in darkness, but I picked out her sister or Krista's sister, her mother. I picked out Krista's mom because I grew up with these people. I knew them. It was that video when I first found out Krista had been sexually assaulted and we're gonna play that video for you now. 20 years of not knowing, 20 years of wondering why. Krista Martin was killed in this South Wichita home back in October of 1989. Just 20 years old, Krista was a very outgoing person with a number of close friends. She often went to clubs and parties with those friends, according to police. But that cold October weekend, something went terribly wrong inside her home in the 500 block of South Osage. Nothing appeared out of the ordinary. I mean, you know, we have no forced entry into the residence. We you know, believe that it's possible she allowed this person inside her house. She was also known to not necessarily lock her doors, though. Inside lay Krista's lifeless body. She had been beaten and sexually assaulted. It was during my research that I found this information out when I reached out to Jared and, oh my God, when we were trying to 
find a way for me to share this because Kay didn't have this video out there. So Jared was trying to find a way to meet up with me and it was like a cloak and dagger situation and he met me outside of a local business here and gave me the junk jump drive and it was almost like we were doing something illegal. But I remember the first time I saw that and how angry I felt because I felt like if you guys listened to that as I did, it almost sounded like the investigator was blaming Krista for what happened to her. And that made me angry. Jared Sorello also happened to be a Facebook friend of mine, even though we had never met until that day. And I, when I was researching Krista's case, that post had come up where he was looking for anybody to stand up for Krista anybody to come on that Crime Stoppers video to stand up for Krista Martin. And so many people had commented on it saying they didn't know who Krista was. They didn't know about what had happened to her. Now, am I the petty type of person in 2021 that went back to the people on their posts from 2009? who were alumni in, at campus high school and made a pissy comment at him? Yes. Yes, I was that petty bitch. Now, my really good social detectives will know to ask, well, Marianne, where were you for that 2009 Crime Stoppers video? Why weren't you there? Why weren't you advocating for Krista Martin? And that is a great question. Why wasn't I there? Well, number one, I didn't know anything about it. Like I said, I feel like there was a wall where I wasn't able to know anything that was going on with the case, no matter how hard I tried. I didn't have the Facebook access. I don't even believe I had a Facebook at that time. And I know I didn't do any type of social media and I don't believe I was even around at that time where I would have been around or available to be a part of that particular news program. And I really wish I would have been because I would have been. I really, really wish I would have known. I really wish I could have been there because that wasn't the Krista Martin I knew at all. The Krista Martin I knew, and it sounds like even the people at City Blueprint, it sounds like her neighbors, everyone else talked about Krista as quiet, kept to herself, didn't hardly know anything about her. Even the people that commented on Jared's Facebook spoke of Krista as quiet. And then you see that 2009 Crime Stoppers, which we did only show a little bit because we're, this podcast is going to be much longer than usual, but it displays her as being a party girl, which isn't the Krista I know at all. Now I know she had gotten into some trouble as time went on because she was trying to deal with the feelings that she was feeling. 
which really hurts my heart that she was trying to feel loved and she was trying to fill it in all the wrong ways. She was trying to fill her void in the wrong ways. And that makes me feel so sad for her. After I met Krista's niece and she informed me that she never knew of my existence until she Googled Krista's name and found my podcast. I didn't really deal with a lot of the emotion at that time, but after the press conference and as I was writing my podcast, a lot of emotion has since washed over me, and it still is. A lot of emotions I haven't really been facing. One of the biggest things I keep wondering is how could my existence not have been known when Krista's family and my brothers all knew each other very well? When I've sent messages to the niece's mom, when I've sent messages to the Wichita Police Department, when I've tagged them repeatedly on social media. When KWCH did an interview with me at Krista's graveside on Krista's birthday of last year about her case. When I lay flowers on Krista's grave multiple times a year. How is my existence just written off? It brought me back to a discussion I've had with Katrina Marshall. How victims of violent crimes, a lot of times families don't want these cases to be shouted from the rooftops of buildings. They don't want the platforms of these cases. They don't want the notoriety of these cases. They want these cases, much like that 2009 Crime Stoppers special. They want them to be cloaked in darkness. It also made me think about families that gatekeep the victim's information. How you can't get pictures of the victims. How many times news media have come to me for pictures of Krista? How many times different news groups and different social media sites have come to me because they've tried to get information on Krista Martin because nobody else would respond to them? I have read of many occasions where children have decided to go no or low contact with their family due to their inability of families to accept their sexuality or lifestyle choices or due to the fact that their family, when they needed them, just weren't there. Because families who are supposed to love them unconditionally turn their backs on them. I know how that feels. Families who put them on the streets. Families who put conditions on the relationships that they're supposed to have. In those situations, what happens if there is a tragic occurrence 
What happens to that loved one? Does the Wichita Police Department have the right to give the family carte blanche decision of who does or doesn't get to advocate? If they give the reins and the decisions of advocacy to a family who has not been there for that person, and I'm not saying this is the case of Krista Martin, but it got me thinking about this. If that happens, it's a slippery slope of creating barriers to those in the LGBTQ communities, those struggling with mental health disorders or family abuse. I'm thinking of my own situation. If the Wichita Police Department determines who is or isn't an advocate, who would speak for me? Whose voice isn't or is allowed to be heard? In the following interview with Detective Vandermolen, he speaks of the community that lived in the area around Krista Martin at the time she was murdered. Well, guess what? I did live in Southwest Wichita at that time. That was my community. I was advocating. Yet again, the Wichita Police Department and many others were erasing my existence, that I existed at all as an advocate. But it's Hannah King and the other news media who spoke of my right to advocate for Krista Martin. I don't understand why the Wichita Police Department and many others say my advocacy doesn't count. And they are telling me what I can and can't say to advocate for a victim of a violent crime. On October 2nd of 1989, when tragedy struck for Krista Martin, initial efforts included the collection of DNA evidence, although at the time DNA testing and CODIS systems were not available. Nonetheless, the DNA evidence was carefully preserved. Between 1990 and 1992, the original case detective sent evidence to the Federal Bureau of Investigation at the crime lab in hopes of identifying a suspect, but unfortunately, this effort yielded no results, leaving the case unsolved. However, her rape kit did not get processed until 2009. Again, that's not something unusual that was happening, but it was a wonderful thing that her rape kit got processed in 2009 because there was a huge backlog of rape kits in Wichita, Kansas. And it wasn't until the KBI received a grant that the rape kits finally all got processed. And I want that to be something else people think about. That it wasn't until 2018 that all the rape kits finally got processed and that those are still going through CODIS and waiting for those perpetrators that haven't got hit to finally get a hit so those victims can get justice. We're not here just talking about Krista's case. We're here talking about 
all victims and all cases that we are hoping receive justice. Another thing I want to talk about that I found really interesting is in 1989, that was when the highest number of homicides occurred in Wichita, Kansas. There was a reported number of 138 cases of homicides. That was a dramatic increase of 45.3% from the 95 homicides that happened in 1988. When we got to the bottom of it, those were just merely theories. Um, it turns out that it was probably somebody she didn't know or somebody she had just randomly ran into. She was sexually assaulted, right? She was sexually assaulted. We believed her, her to be sexually assaulted uh, back, or they believed her to be sexually assaulted in 89. And so they did a uh, sexual assault examination kit on her back in 89. Um, that evidence was collected, packaged, and held onto. Um, put it in property and evidence, and they're, they're sat. Even though the case was never forgotten by the department, it was looked at heavily again in 2009. And even then, there were no matches to this DNA that they had had from the scene in 89. But things changed, though, in 2020. Was it ever sent off? No, not till 09. Uh, Sergeant Dan Hardy, uh, who was a detective in the homicide section in 09, um, was going through old cases, came across Krista's, and saw that there was a sexual assault kit that need to be tested. And so it was sent off for testing. Okay, so for the last 10 plus years, it's not hit anything until now. This was one of the first two cases that we opened up with genetic genealogy in the Wichita Police Department. Um, this was the first homicide uh, that we looked at through that lens. And so that wasn't available back, back in 89. Back in 89, DNA wasn't even a thing. Um, CODIS wasn't up and running at that point in time. In 09, CODIS was up and running and DNA was more of a thing. Um, the DNA from this case was put into CODIS in 2009, 2010, but, and it's been in CODIS ever since then, but nothing mm -hmm. has been hitting. Nothing's been helpful at that point in time. And so um, in 2020, like I said, we used genetic genealogy uh, and started that process, which is a long process, which is why it's taken us so many years to get to that point. Um, but this case was difficult uh, genetic genealogy-wise, but through the, over the last three years, we've been able to get to the bottom of it. In 1989, Wichita, Kansas had a reported number of 138 can cases that were labeled as homicides. That's a dramatic increase from the of 45.3% more than the 95 homicides that were reported in 1988. So the largest number of homicides also in 1989 were reported in October. This is when the homicide also happened to Krista. So a lot of this is bad timing. Now, since then, there, the last most recent numbers I could get was in 2021, and there were, have only been 54 cases of, of homicide. Now, I do know recently we've had quite a few homicides already occurring here in 2023 here in Wichita, Kansas. I do know as well the Wichita Police Department has had a very quick turnaround of arrest on those homicide cases, which is a wonderful thing to see and hear. Now, they have over 200 unsolved homicide cases, and that's why we want to have our platform continue to grow to assist in raising awareness of those cases.
I mean, you can see through the box here. I mean, they, in 89, the detectives did a lot of work on her yeah. case. You know, it wasn't that, that, that she was forgotten about within our agency or our organization. The detectives back then got to a point where they just had nothing else to go off mm -hmm. of. No one had information for her, no, or no, no one had information for them. No one had new leads for them to go off of. And so, like a lot of cases where we don't get cooperation, they come to a standstill at some point in time. Um, you know, and so I don't think Krista was ever forgotten about within our agency. You know, I think it's evident that she was remembered on multiple occasions, you know, in 89, in 09, in 2020, you know. Her case, her case was never, ever forgotten about. Um, when I called the case detective on this case to let him know what we had learned, um, this was his first ever homicide case. Sure. Detective Hennessy's first ever homicide case was Krista Martin's case, and it was never solved. And he's lived with that his entire life, his entire, or his entire career. So when I called him and told him that what we had learned and, and what, what we had found out, he was overjoyed to hear that it had been solved. Mm. Um, because it gives him, you know, some closure. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that were affected by Kristen Martin's case. The guys that worked on it, her family, yeah. you know, the community that lived down there, you know, wondering what was going on for, for so many years. Uh, it was, it affected a lot of people. And so it feels... Now, I could tell Detective Vandermolen with the Wichita Police Department, I think he at least noticed when he was responded to Hannah King in this clip. He did say that it was evident that she was remembered on multiple occasions in 89, 09, and 2020. However, I do want to come with a positive part of this story. Now, I'm sorry, I know it sounds like I'm a bit cranky for such a positive ending. But I want to share the whole story for all of the wonderful listeners who have been here with me, who have been supportive of me and of Krista. They've shared Krista's face when nobody else was. Because let me tell you, from 2009 until 2023, there wasn't anyone else sharing her faces, sharing Krista's face besides these group of people that were sharing her podcast. I do know one other campus alumni that shared Krista Martin's face in 2017. Other than that, it was the listeners of Crime Scenes and Cupcakes and The Social Detective and the other podcasters that were part of our group who were sharing Krista's case. So yes, the Wichita Police Department may have been working on it, but nobody else was, rem they may have been remembering her, but they were not sharing her case. As much as I love cupcakes, I am not going to try to bullshit my listeners with a candy-coated ending. However, I do want to come with a positive part of this story. But I want to come to the positive ending with honesty. Finally, in April of 2023, a possible suspect, Paul Hart, emerged. It was discovered Mr. Hart died in a traffic collision in Memphis, Tennessee in March of 1999. WPD investigators were able to utilize IgG techniques to confirm that Mr. Hart was the suspect in the 1989 homicide of Krista Martin. When I arrived at the press conference, I was wearing my Krista Forever 1989 t-shirt because I am a Swifty 
and Krista will forever be 1989. But I felt like I was being led into a lion's den. I knew most of the police department, if they had at any way, shape, or form, be were associated with my social media or my podcast. They knew I called them out on multiple cases or on Krista Martin's case. They knew I wasn't always positive. I do share positive things when they do positive things. But I was speaking out about Krista Martin. And I felt like I was walking, I was being the lamb led to slaughter. I went to that press conference because I wanted to see my friend's face acknowledged. However, I felt like I was being treated as the enemy instead of the advocate. When I entered that room, I saw the investigative timeline. That timeline punched me in the gut. Emotions began flowing through me so hard, I had to rush back out of the room. Tears running down my face, and let me explain why. One thing that keeps coming back is 2009, because that's when things truly seem to begin to change for Krista's case. On October 2nd, 1989, that's when tragedy struck for Krista Martin. Initial efforts included the collection of DNA evidence, although at the time, DNA testing and CODA systems weren't available. Nonetheless, the DNA evidence was carefully preserved. This is by a WPD spokesperson via the news release. Between 1990 and 1992, Detectives sent evidence to the FBI crime lab in hopes of identifying a suspect. But unfortunately, this didn't yield positive results. Then Jared Sorello recorded that 2009 Crime Stopper special, Krista's oldest niece turned 21 in 2009. That brother of mine that enjoyed going to high school parties, that brother who would invite a lot of my friends to spend the night at his place and let me have sleepovers there while he would give us a bunch of liquor. Never questioned that. I never thought it was weird. Well, a few years prior to that, He'd been arrested in Kay County, Oklahoma, sentenced to 75 years on multiple counts, 75 years per count of first degree rape, 20 years on multiple counts for each count of lewd molestation, 10 years on multiple counts on each count of preparing child pornography. The sentences were ordered to be served consecutively. Coincidentally, at this time, this is when that brother began reaching out, saying he had information on Krista's case. This is also that time my brother began harassing Krista's family, saying he had information on Krista's case. He began telling a bunch of lies about Krista. 
he began telling the police a lot of lies about Krista. I believe the police saw him as a suspect for a period of time. I believe, and this is just my belief and my speculation, that this revitalized some DNA and why they started taking some DNA profiles to the Sedgwick County Forensic Science Center. And this is just my belief. Because I did encourage my, and I did myself of sending those tips to the police department. And I encourage all of you, if family members or anyone you know is saying things, whether they're crazy and unbelievable, please contact your local police departments and please always turn that information in, no matter how crazy the stories. Always, always contact the police departments and let them know. Whether or not you believe them, whether or not you believe they are a potential lead, let the police vet that information out. Like I said, it was interesting to find out the Wichita Police Department they said they had potential leads at that time. They requested the Forensic Science Center take a look at the DNA. As I said earlier, the FBI attempt to run the DNA a few years earlier with negative results, but in 2009, they submit DNA evidence to the Sedgwick County Regional Forensic Science Center, which resulted in a potential suspect profile, but there were no matches in the CODIS database. My brother, of course, being a sexual predator, would be in the CODIS database, and there was no match to that. So finally, my fears were laid to rest. I knew he had nothing to do with it. Walking into that room. With assistance from the FBI, they were able to reevaluate the DNA evidence collected in 1989. In 2020 and throughout the following two years, the department's mission was to conduct additional interviews and gather more evidence. The department began working with Authorum Inc. Authorum Inc. is a private industry of forensic genealogists. They utilize crowdfunding to assist in researching cases. Now we're going to get into Authorum a little bit more, so put a pen in that name. Authorum was able to identify a forensic genealogical family line, and they narrowed it down to two brothers through extensive investigation. When they narrowed it down, they narrowed it down from now, those two brothers to one brother, Paul Hart. That man lived behind Krista and six doors down. That identification was made April of 2023. Now, Paul Hart died in a traffic collision in Memphis, Tennessee, 10 years after Krista's murder. So in June of 2023, DNA samples were collected of Mr. Hart's relatives. One question I have always had is, did the person that hurt Krista go on to hurt anyone else after he committed that crime? It's still something I want and I need to know.
I have spent many years of my life watching a ticking time bomb, knowing what they were capable of, but being told to do nothing, being told to mind my own business and never to talk out of school of what happens behind closed doors. That person did go on to hurt those that he should have protected. Now, I want to know yet again, if Paul Hart had gone on to hurt others after he hurt someone I loved. I haven't been able to find that information out and I will provide an update once I find that information. But I wanna go on and talk about Authorum. Authorum combines laboratory science, software and processes to build a better and more robust infrastructure for justice. They do this internationally. They also have a program that's called DNA Solves. It's a family of offerings with one purpose in mind, to aid human identification investigations. And they accomplish this by working directly with law enforcement agencies like they did on Krista Martin's case. They do this by acting on behalf of or with the direction of law enforcement agencies. DNA Solves combines crowdfunding, volunteer data, and the cutting edge genomics to solve unsolvable cases like Krista Martin's. So no case is ever unsolvable. Now, one of the things I've been asked is, did Kristen directly know Paul Hart? So far with all of law enforcement's investigation, nobody believes that she did. In all of her writings, we haven't been able to find any way, shape or form that she knew him directly. We haven't been able to find anything concrete of how their paths may have crossed whether he took advantage of her as she was coming home, whether he found a door unlocked. They haven't been able to concrete say how their paths crossed exactly. The object that was used to bludgeon her, they haven't been able to find that. Are police still looking for it? No, they are not. Krista was a beautiful, amazing person who struggled with a lot of things at the towards the end of her life. She had just moved in to that neighborhood. She had just been laid off from her job. The Saturday before she had been murdered, she had gone to Toto's with some friends. The friend who had found her body, he was alibied, he had no direct dealings with anything that happened. Her body was found and it was found, one of the things that I'd questioned was the fact that she had been covered. She had been dressed. Police have always wondered that and they always thought that it must have been somebody she knew. Now that has changed. They don't think this person knew Krista at all. They think this was just a spur of the moment thing that occurred. 
were able to write the last line in the chapter of her investigation, and we're all able to move forward in Christus. We're able to remember her and move forward. I do have questions still about Paul Hart. So as far as I'm concerned, that chapter is not closed for me yet. Do I believe that he is absolutely the suspect? Yes, I do. To ensure that it was him, I 100% believe that Paul Hart is the suspect in the investigation of Krista Martin. I will continue to celebrate and remember Krista. I will continue to celebrate all of my memories of and with her. This has instilled upon me a greater strength in fighting for those who need answers in those unsolved cases. And I will continue to do so. We started this podcast to find answers for Krista. However, Krista has led me to so many other families and loved ones who are on their own quest for answers, who have had so many frustrations by the lack of communication with law enforcement. So things don't end here. We will continue to try to find answers for others. As many of you might know, there is a documentary on the Dolly Madison murders from Great Bend, Kansas. The victim, Mandy Alexander, her sister, Desiree Worth, was very excited to share that there was just a screening in New Jersey recently. So we are very excited that the word is getting out there about that case across the United States. I am hoping to submit that case to Authorum Inc. and maybe they can assist with the new DNA that was found with the KBI. On the Fasica Tadell case, his father was recently able to be interviewed on the Vanish podcast. We're hoping that raised awareness will bring answers for him. All of you listeners, with everything you do, you have given us so much more renewed hope and you've been able to bring us so many more answers on so many more cases. Hannah King is closing cases because she is incredible. I cannot wait to see which case she tackles next. So to all of you social detectives, continue to share because you're making a difference and we will keep advocating. I would like to close this podcast out with huge thank yous to Detectives Hardy and Detectives Vandermolen. I know it seems like I was a little hard on you throughout the podcast, but it's been a rough 34 years. And it was really rough not having my voice heard for 34 years. But it was you that helped get us to the finish line. But I also know that we never would have made it to the finish line without the amazing people 
at AuthorMink. I have done a lot of work on past cases of research and advocating with other families who have been in contact via Authorum Inc. And I can attest that if you ever want to donate monies to a worthy cause, Authorum Inc. and DNA Solves is that cause. They help close so many cases that are even decades old. Shauna Garber's case comes immediately to mind. So please go to their website and see the amazing things that they do. To the Wichita Police Department and especially to Chief Joe Sullivan. I think we can have an amazing relationship. I believe together we can raise awareness on the over 200 cold cases the Wichita Police Department has. So many cold cases are getting solved today. Cutting edge forensic science is making the change. But so are the fracture of relationships that are occurring and social media. Scouring TikToks today, it is amazing the things that people will share. Deep, dark secrets are coming to the surface for people who are willing to take the time and listen. You never know what you might hear. See something, say something does work. I have established wonderful relationships with other police departments, and I look forward to our ongoing relationships together because I know you will do amazing things in solving crimes. To the Sedgwick County Forensic Science Center, the forensic scientists who rarely get the accolades. We know you are the true heroes behind all the science that happens today. Thank you for all you did in solving Krista Martin's case. I want to shout out again to Hannah King. In my heart of hearts, I know that the miracles occur because Hannah King pushes over that first domino in every case. I want to shout out again to Katrina Marshall, my partner in crime solving. We continue to push forward and advocate to every family who reaches out to us. There have been several families who have reached out that I have not been able to get back to because of everything that has been going on. But to those families, I promise I have not forgotten. I have received all of your messages and I will continue to push forward and go through those cases and get them the awareness they deserve. To Mary Krupper's family, 
We will continue to push forward, and I believe that case has a future in being solved. To Shannon Olson's family, I feel the same way. I know a friend of Shannon Olson's has been pushing hard for justice. She has a fellow advocate in me. To Fasika Tadell's father, I am so glad you have an additional platform to spread the word to raise awareness in your son's missing case. We will continue to spread his case and spread awareness until answers are found. To all of our listeners, to the other social detectives, continue sharing the cases. Continue sharing their faces so they are never forgotten. It was you, the Social Detective Army, who shares the cases and reminds everyone that no one will forget these victims. No one will forget the missing until we find answers. I want to thank all of you. We have an answer in Krista Martin's case, but there are so many who are still awaiting answers and we're going to be here searching for them until they're found. A final thank you again to all the detectives who worked so hard for answers in Krista's case. But let's keep pushing forward until we get answers for all. Everyone, be safe. You've only heard um, what happened uh, about um, Krista from either police and Marianne. Mm -hmm. Is there any stories that you recall that your mom may have told you mm -hmm. in memory of her or just something that, I mean, like I said, we've only heard it from Marianne's side. Mm -hmm. How does the family remember Krista? Who is Krista to you guys? And you can just look at me, you don't have to. <laughs> um. Any stories in particular? No, that's kind of a kind of a hard one to answer. Um, the story that sticks out in my mind the most is my mother telling me about um, her and Krista when they were little, and they used to um, walk to the mini stop, which is now the subway in Hayesville, and they would buy candy together. That's just something that's always stuck in my mind. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but... Yeah. As we close out Krista's case, you would think October would be the difficult month for me. And it is in one hand. It's a difficult month because it's the month we lost Krista. But it's also the month we find answers. We found answers for Krista. But it has always continued to be a joyful month for me because it was a month of memories with Krista. Krista enjoyed horror movies. She enjoyed Halloween. We enjoyed sharing many times together. And I want to end with one wonderful story I had with Krista. The night she took me to go see the original Nightmare on Elm Street. 
we went to see the movie and I realized Johnny Depp was the man for me. And then we went to the Nelson Elementary School playground in the dark and played hide and seek. A couple of teenagers running in the dark, playing like kids. That's Krista. And those are the memories I will continue to hold on to.